Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. You know, when you begin to look in the Bible, uh, you look in throughout the Gospels and you see a lot of, of uh, accounts where Jesus is sitting around the table with people. Many of his uh, parables are parables about banquets and there's a table involved, there's food involved, there's a gathering. In the, the Gospel of Luke alone, there's over a dozen uh, accounts where Jesus is eating with people and there's there's something spiritual going on at that table. There's something spiritual going on in that setting. And then there are others that, uh, again, are like parables. But in, in the gospel of Luke alone, there's a, at, at least a dozen and more that are going on there. And so, you know, as we talk about this today, I want to look, really, I'm going to give you one scripture verse, but we're really going to go three different places in scripture, all right? So bear with me because it's going to be a lot of scripture, and that's okay because we're in the house of God, all right? So the first place that I want you to go is in Luke chapter 5. And we'll get there in just a moment. But as you go to Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin looking at one of the very first accounts that Jesus has at a table. And so as we look at this, as you dive into it, we're going to talk about what we can learn from Jesus' experiences at the table. I'm going to ask you today, man, if you'll really open your heart up to say, God, there's something in this message that I need to hear today. This is what I'm asking you to do. There's something in this message that I need to hear today. I promise you, if we will do this, we will be so effective for the kingdom. Today in this message, you're going to feel convicted, all right? Let me just explain to you for those of you who may not be a part of this house that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is from the enemy and conviction is from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit convicts us, in other words, taps on our heart and says, hey, there's a better way than what you're doing now. Holy Spirit convicts us and says, the way you're doing things now are not in alignment with the word uh, or you've gotten a little lax on that. Holy Spirit comes and convicts us. Ho the enemy will condemn us. Well, you're sorry. I mean, look at you. I thought you were a mature Christian. Look at No, 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 no. None of that. Today you will be convicted, but don't allow condemnation to get on, on you. Whenever there's conviction, conviction is the father disciplining the house to bring us back into alignment with his word. I heard a word, uh, a phrase today that I've never heard before, but... I've explained it like this in church terms. I've, uh, I've said, you know, it's, uh, it's human tendency to drift towards, does anybody know? Come on, if you've been around this house, you should know this. Complacency. It's, it's human tendency to drift towards complacency. I was hot 
but now I'm not. I was on fire, but now I'm not as much. I was good. I started off great. And I heard this word today, Craig was mentioning, in the corporate world, they call it scope creep. Did I get that right? Scope creep. Creep. And I'm like, oh, I, that's, that's human tendency is to drift. So our scope, whatever that is, the scope of what we're supposed to do, the goal of what we're supposed to do, we gently creep off course and out of balance. And so the word prophetically constantly is drawing us back into alignment. Here's what I want you to understand as we walk away today. This is what I want you to take with you. A culture of invitation is crucial to living out our calling. Now, you might not have accepted the calling, but we're all called. Can I say it again? You might not have accepted the call, but everybody in this room is called because we're all disciples. We originated from the original 12 disciples. You follow me? That's called apostolic succession. That means that the original apostles, they're foundational apostles. And so they beget other apostles and other apostles and other apostles and other evangelists and other pastors and other teachers and other, you know, prophets. They beget all of those. In other words, they reproduce those. They're making disciples. And all the way down to this day on January 21st, 2021, uh, uh, 2024, (laughs) Let me get it right. January 1st. uh, January 21st, 2024. All the way down to here. We are apostolically succeeded from the apostles. All right? So why do I say that? Because if they were called, then you're called. I'm called. And our calling is to go and make disciples. Keep doing that. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Every salvation begins with an invitation. Every, so today I'm going to be talking to you about a culture of invitation. Now... I need you to hear what a culture of invitation is for this house. Dramatic pause. I'm going to say it again. I need you to hear me today what a culture of invitation looks like for this house. Because... A culture of invitation, you might be talking to this about somebody at another church and y'all are talking and using the same words, but you have a totally different understanding. And in a lot of places, it's about, hey, I need you to go out of here and I need y'all to go get some more sheep and I need you to bring them into this house so that we can have a full house. You know, as I look around and I see empty chairs, I always want more chairs. But that's an opportunity. We can look at the, at the glass as half full or half empty. I look at those chairs that, like, man, those are opportunities for somebody to be in those chairs receiving the gospel of Christ. But in so many places, that's what a culture of invitation means. I just want you to go out, and I just want you to get more people, and I just want to fill this house up. That is not our goal. That is not our goal. Our goal 
is to do life with people, build relationships with people, and expose people to the gospel of Christ so that their lives can be changed forever. Your life being changed forever is not an easy task. It's sometimes it's not pleasant. Iron sharpening iron. When we are being discipled, which the root word of that is disciplined, we are learning a discipline. Like, it's not always easy. There are things that need to be cut away. When we sing songs like, consume me, God. Well, when God consumes, there's nothing left. Like, he burns you up. Like, you're burned up in the fire, the furnace of purification, of sanctification. Of You, you see what I'm saying? It's like, so this is not just a process for anybody. So we've got to be very intentional when we talk about a culture of invitation. It's crucial to the living out of our calling. And so there's a culture of invitation. And sometimes I might uh, uh, refer to a culture of hospitality. Now, listen to me real quick. Culture of invitation, culture of hospitality are both crucial, but they're different. I just want you to be with me, all right? This really isn't deep, but y'all are looking at me like, ooh, that's deep, you know. A culture of invitation says, come, come, come. A culture of hospitality says, when you come, I'm going to love you well. It means I'm going to honor you well. And you can't really have one without the other and do it well. You can say, y'all, come on. And then not treat people well. Have you ever been to somebody's house before and you went there and you weren't treated well? Or it was just really awkward? I'll give you an example. I can say this because it's about my family. I traveled all day, uh, well, not all day, but, but a, a fur distance, a fur piece. And uh, man, I'm just tired. And when I get to the house, I come into the house. Now, these are, it's not like I'd be coming to Valerie's house, I'm coming to my family's house. And so, you know, I, at, at family, you ought to have a whole different level of hominess. You know what I'm saying? We, what do we say? Man, we just, now, man, we're just family. We're just family. Like, that means that when we're family, there's a whole different level of comfortability and, and, and security that I have with you. Man, I came in there, and I, I plopped down on that couch. Man, I'm tired. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't put my boots up on it or nothing like that, but I'm just laying back because I'm tired. And uh, I, I'm feeling uncomfortable in the house because there's something off. There's something off. And so my family member says, I, I, well, actually, I, I, like, is something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Because <laughs> I sense I'm, something's not right. And they're like, um, yeah, those pillows... They're, they're not for laying on. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you should have took these off the couch before I got here. You know what I'm saying? Like, baby-proof your house if you don't want kids picking up little whatnots. If that's valuable and your great-grandma Gertrude gave that to you and it's super expensive, do not put that on your dining room table or your coffee table if you bring in somebody that's got a bunch of kids all uh, over. Take that stuff and put it away. But you understand what I'm saying? Like you can have a culture of invitation but not be hospitable. At the same time, you can be hospitable but not have a culture of invitation. So it doesn't matter how good you love. It doesn't matter how hospitable you are. If nobody ever comes, it don't do you no good. 
you got the best museum on the planet. You follow me? All right. So, a culture of invitation is crucial to you and I living out the, the, man, uh, the um, mandate on our life, the calling on our life, which is to make disciples, all right? Which is to be the light of the world, the light in the darkness, the salt of the earth. It's crucial for these two things, and I'm really going to focus on a culture of invitation today. So look in Luke chapter 5, and as you're turning there, um, I'm just going to mention this. In Luke chapter 7, verses 34 through 36, this is how Luke describes. Now, I want you to be in Luke chapter 5, all right? But I'm just referencing real quick Luke seven thirty-four. This is how Luke describes Jesus. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Think about it now. Jesus was characterized, stuck out in Luke's mind as, this joker knows he loves to eat. This joker knows he loves to be getting together and hanging out and eating and drinking with folks. Isn't that cool? I never, until I started studying this, I had never seen that. And if you had asked me different traits, that would have been the last trait I would have given to Jesus. But Jesus loved people. Our mission here, we like to say it this way. Love God, love people. Prove it. Back it up with words. In other words, God and people are always the main thing. With Jesus, he was all about God and he was all about the people of God. And he did hang out a lot. He hung out. He, he, I'm, I'm sure at times he probably looked lazy. We might get there next week. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, their house. You remember that whole scenario? Martha's upset. I'm sure at times Jesus might have looked, you know, lazy. Like, hey, there's stuff to do. But he understood that people are the main thing. And why do we invite people? Why do we need to have a culture of invitation? It's not just to get more butts in seats. It's not just to get more people in the house. It's not just to have a bigger church. The reason that we need a culture of invitation, friends, is because there is a heaven and there is a hell. And every person on the planet is going to spend an eternity in one of those two places. Our children are going to spend an eternity in one of those places. You're going to spend an eternity. I'm going to spend an eternity. Everybody on the planet is going to. And that's why it's important that we have a culture of invitation. That we have a seeking out. Like Jesus said, he came to seek. Like, invite. He came to seek the lost. Like, he's laser focused on it. He's on mission. That's how we should be. And we're not. Again, this is not to condemn anybody, but we're not. For the most part, the average person who calls them a Christian, which I'm going to raise my hand because I'm, I'm one of those. Any, do I have any other Christian followers in here? The average ones of us do not live this out. So there's the conviction part, okay? Am I living this out? Am I living this out? All right, so let's read this. 
In Luke chapter 5, what's happening here is Jesus, he's calling Matthew into the ministry and he's inviting him into, um, into ministry with him. So at verse 27, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. All right, real quick. Levi, also named Matthew, so we're talking about Matthew. So when Jesus is leaving the town, he looks over and he sees Matthew. He sees Levi. Uh, here's what I want you to understand. He, he was constantly looking for people who needed something in their world. Like, man, I, this book right here, I want to bear fruit. I led a book study not too long ago. I'm going to talk to you about this a little more at the end of the study. But there are, there are four things that it teaches us to do. And one of those is every day waking up and saying, God, put people who need to see you in front of me today. Wow. If we started every day with that, God put people in front of me every contact. Are you following me? Put people in front of me who need you today because I am there to be salt and light to them. I'm there to be influence to them. I'm there to make a positive impact on them. Great or small, it's up to you, God, but I am there. So, so it says he saw a tax collector. Now understand this, Ta tax collectors are like lawyers, they're like the, I, they literally are the IRS of their day. They're politicians. That, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're even preachers at times. These are people with low uh, uh, esteem among the community. I hate to say that, but pastors have sometimes a low esteem among the community because they don't live out what they preach. And so he, here he is, he's seeing this tax collector and not only does he see him this time, you can bet that, Je that Jesus has had his eye on him for a while. You know what I'm saying? And so he says, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, and so Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. Listen, I'm just telling you, my friend, if Jesus were alive and well today on planet earth, he is alive and well, he's just not on planet earth in physical form. But if he was, and he was walking about, and he called people to follow him, I promise you, I promise you, Jesus didn't have the biggest ministry on the planet when he was around. There were other people that had bigger ministries than he had. But I'm telling you, when Jesus, if he were to call people into ministry, I understand in my heart that there would be multitudes that would not follow him because it says here that Matthew left everything. There was something about this. It's like, man, are we willing to lay down? And we live in the most idolatrous nation on the planet. Can I just? We live on the most idolatrous, uh, in the most idolatrous country, I believe, on the planet. What's our main God? The love of mammon, the love of money. And the scripture says it's the root of all evil. Love of money. We worship ourselves. We worship our kids. We worship our convenience. We worship our time. I was standing behind the stage this morning talking to Brian, and we, you know, we just doing that quick little, hey man, how you doing? How's it been going? Kind of thing. And, and I said, you know, uh, it's been going pretty good. I haven't experienced any uh, major battles. Like, hey, I'm kind of in the, whew, thank you, God, for a little reprieve there. And I said, isn't it funny that we want the best life? 
the, without any warfare, any uh, obstacles, anything. But that's not the life that is the kingdom. The kingdom is an uphill battle. The kingdom is the narrow road. It's an upside-down kingdom. You and I on this side of eternity don't get the best of everything. We can be blessed. But I'm telling you, this is how I believe. When God blesses you, oh, man, this brings back one of my favorite quotes by E.V. Hill. I don't know if you ever know E.V. Hill, but he's like, when God blesses you, he ain't even got you in mind. When, he, when I heard him say that, I'm like, my God, that is so powerful. When God blesses me, who does he have in mind? Most of the time, see, we think God's blessing us for us because we worship mammon. But when God blesses me, most of the time he's, he's, he's using me, giving me resources for influence, for impact, to carry out my calling. And so He's looking at Matthew here. He's calling Matthew, and, and it says, dude, Matthew got up in verse 28 and left everything and followed Jesus. And look at verse 29. It says, later, Levi, Matthew, he held a banquet at his home. What did he hold? What's at a banquet? Food. Where did he hold the banquet? At his house. So, Later, when he held this banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, this is so important. So Matthew holds this banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor, and then it says many of Levi Matthew's friends, fellow tax collectors, and other guests also ate with them. All right, listen to me. This is not your, your normal Christian gathering. Levi, Matthew, has called his buddies. These are a bunch of, he, these are his cronies. There's, these, these are some good old boys, man. They, they're used to back room deals, shady deals. Man, they, these are not the, the, the model of purity. And Jesus is there with them. But Levi makes Jesus the guest of honor. Wow. In our culture, we invite some of our unchristian friends over. We're, we're like, hey, please don't do any of the prophecy stuff. Like, can you please just suppress that? Oh, my God, I'm fixing to preach. As a matter of fact, that has invaded our church, meaning the church at large. Hey, we invited these sinner folks here, you know. We invited people that don't know Jesus. So can we tone it down on the Jesus stuff? Listen, my friend, that is anti-biblical. It's ungodly, and a bunch of churches are built on that. Like, I'm telling you what, if you, if you suppress the moving of the Spirit because you don't want to offend somebody, now I get it. We got to do things in order. We got to do things in order. There's order. But when you begin to suppress it, you are, you are so far off. Your scope has crept so far off. Like, we, we, we're not even the church anymore. But, but Matthew, he makes Jesus the center of attention among the sinners. He's like, man, I want you to come hear this guy. Like, I, I really believe we got something that we could hear from him. Like, wow, wow. What if people said that about us? And they're like, man, 
they invite us over, and they're like, hey, man, I'm a, I got my buddy here. He's from Destiny Church. He's a little different, but, you know, we're, you know, you follow me? But I, I think there's something, man, in, in him. I've watched his life. I've listened to him. And man, he's given me counsel. He's prayed for me. And so he invites him over. All of these folks are over. Jesus is the center. Listen, you do not have to dumb down Jesus around your friends who are not believers. All right? Now, at the same time, you cannot necessarily operate like you do at church. Why? Because we're familiar with the culture, or should be. They're not. So we can't bust up in there speaking in tongues and, you know, some of these things. Well, you could, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, I'm telling you, if you would just prophesy, just prophesy, just for that group, you don't have to speak in tongues. Just go straight to the prophecy. I didn't make up the rules for, for spiritual gifts. I don't understand why there is even a spiritual uh, gift of tongues and interpretation if prophecy equals both of them. You know, but I ain't God. But what I'm saying is, like, I'm telling you, we will teach you if you don't know how to prophesy in public. We will teach you how to prophesy at the waitress at the restaurant to where you're not going to get her fired because you've been prophesying to her for 20 minutes. Listen, I'm telling you, Jack, I've been in restaurants where I'm like, dude, you need to bring it on to a close because Holy Ghost left this about, you know, 10 minutes ago. You know, now, now, now you, you, you're not prophesying, you're prophesying. And, 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 and God ain't in what we're doing. And we need to let this woman get back to work because her manager ain't in the spirit like you are in the spirit. So we need to know how we can do these things in a setting outside of church. Do you understand? If you don't know how to do that, I promise you, I'll teach you how to do that so that you can go out and do this stuff that I'm trying to teach you how to do. All right, so let me give you a couple of other places where Jesus, he sits down. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is eating at the home of Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, and I'm going to read the first nine verses. As Jesus entered Jericho, Jericho is a horrible place. As Jesus enters Jericho and makes his way through the town, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. I can't remember for the life of me what Zacchaeus' name means. Somebody look that up real quick. Look that up. Uh, I'll just assign it to Alan. Alan, you look it up so everybody else can listen. Um, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. The scripture gives us his name because names are important. And, and God wants us to understand who Zacchaeus really is. All right? He was the chief tax collector. Like, wait a second. He wasn't do flunky tax collector. He wasn't a rookie with his third month on the job. Zacchaeus, oh, come on, Jesus, was the chief one. He's the head honcho. And it says he was the chief tax collector in the region. Oh, man, listen to this. How much influence this joker must have had. He's the top tax collector, and he is the, the top Tax collector, not just in the town, in the region. What's it mean? All right, so pure, listen to this. Listen to this. The reason that's important, and I can't believe I, I couldn't remember it or wrote it down, but here's why it's important. Jesus 
walks into a town where everybody looks at him. People will be looking at you like this. Everybody looks at Zacchaeus and they look at him. Liar, cheat, low down thief. You ain't good for nothing. Can't trust you. Can't trust you. But that's what the world would say. That's what the lies of the enemy would call you and name you. But what is his name again? It is purity, pure and innocent. Purity. Jesus walks in and says, hey, purity, come on down from there. He walks into town and he says, hey, innocence, right? Innocence. Like, dude, if anybody wasn't innocent, it was Zacchaeus. That joker was as guilty as he could be of robbing folks. He even confesses it later. All right, so let's go back to this. It says, when he entered the town, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore uh, or fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Stop. He looked up. In the other occasion that I wrote of the calling of Matthew, Jesus is walking by and he saw. All right? He's seeking people out. This, he's walking through Jericho and he looks up and he sees. So he's, he's being very intentional about his going about the daily business of the Father. So he sees him in that sycamore tree and he calls him by name and he says, Zacchaeus, innocence. Zacchaeus, purity. He said, come down quickly. I must be a guest in your home today. Hmm. He doesn't say, I'd like to come to your home. Can we set up a date for it? He's like, dude, he's on mission. He's he's, he's prophesying. He's operating in the prophetic. He says, man, I got to get to your house. I have to come to your house today. It's in a moment. There are going to be times where you might have to make an appointment, and there are going to be some times where the Holy Spirit is going to, you're going to be under the administration of God, and Holy Spirit's going to say, I need you to step into it. I need you to be a little more direct. See, to me, sometimes I'm like so, uh, so, so diplomatic, and I want to, you know, make everybody happy and everything. And then there are sometimes it's like, hey, dude, you need to stop playing. You need to stop playing around. Get in or get out. Get in or get out. Tomorrow I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm like, and if you're watching today, you know who you are. But it's get in or get out. Because what you're doing right now, you're playing with God. You're playing with the blessings of God. You are adulterating your relationship with God. You know what I'm saying? You're prostituting the blessings of God. You're, you're, you're treating God like he's over here, he's some booty call. And I know that offends some of the religious in here. But you are treating God like God is, 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 is you know, a friend with benefits. It's like God is looking for a bride, my friend. He's looking for a pure bride. He's looking for a bride who loves him. He's like, he's not looking for somebody that, you know, pays for his services. You know what I'm saying? He is looking for the bride there are going to be times where we have to step in and we can't, we can't mamby-pamby around it. It's like, dude, there are times where we've got to have. And listen, I'm speaking to somebody in this house, Holy Spirit. If it's for uh, uh, whoever it's for, 
open their ears because you said that you would give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to receive revelation in this house. So if it's for you, you receive it. There are some in this house that you were so far off assignment. Mm. You are, hear me, I'm telling you I'm prophesying to this house right now. There are some of you that you are so far off assignment because you've taken on other projects. There are some of you that are so far off assignment because you've allowed uh, things that are not of God, like you in your heart, you know that it is not. You have, again, scope drifted. You've scope drifted. Holy Spirit is speaking to us to bring us back into alignment with the calling that he has on our life. And so, man, I'm telling you, when we look at this, he speaks to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I, I'm coming to your house today. Like, how would you feel if somebody said, you know, well, in our culture, we can't see that. You know why? Because you ain't the boss of me. You ain't the boss of me. Guess what that means? You don't have as much influence as you thought you had. You thought you had influence as long as you don't challenge me. You thought you had influence as long as you don't cause me to grow. As long as you don't discipline me. You thought you had influence, but the minute you try to prophesy... You try to bring it into, listen, I've had people in this house that you've told me, you've, 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 prop, you've met with people, you tried to bring a voice of, of spiritual correction, prophesy over them, and they got up and left. And your relationship was not what you thought it was. Amen? Why? Why? They weren't seeking the Lord. They, they truly weren't seeking the Lord. Like everybody that comes to the table, that'll be a message down the road somewhere. Everybody that comes to the, mess, uh, to the table is not interested in the meal. Everybody that comes to the table, they're really not there for community with others at the table. There's an agenda there. There's certain things there. And I'm telling you what. If you'll stay straight and narrow and stay the course, God will reveal those things. God revealed Judas. You, are you following me? God will reveal those things. If we just love people and stay the course and do what Jesus did. And look, it says here that in um, verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house. Have you noticed in both of these instances where did they end up in the house of the person who was invited and so there was an invitation that went out for a calling and then there was also an invitation back to come to my home all right and there was purpose that happened in those homes now as he came back to the home Zacchaeus in verse 6 quickly jumped down. They went to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And meanwhile, Zacchaeus, he stood before the Lord. Like the religious people are like put off by it. Can't believe it. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus, he stands before the Lord and said, 
I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Listen, Zacchaeus had transformation in his heart. He says it this way, like if I've cheated anybody, Joker, you know you've cheated. You know who you cheated. Do you, you know what I'm saying? You know who you cheated. So when he says this, he's saying it with the understanding like, if I've, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give it back. I'm ready to make restitution right here. I'm ready to own up to my mistakes, and I'm ready to get this straight. And then Jesus responded, salvation today has come to this home, to this house. There's something very important about our house, our house, God's house. I ain't talking about this. Is your house God's house or is it your house? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns every house in every subdivision, on every neighborhood, on every county, in every city, in every nation, in every place on the planet. There's something about the home, the home. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going there. Acts chapter 2. You can turn there real quick or you can just listen to me read it. This is right after uh, Peter preaches and the 3,000 were added to the church and the church is beginning to kind of congeal. It's beginning to kind of come together and settle into uh, what, what looks more of like a, a bit of a structured group of people. And in verse 42, it said, all the believers. Now, that's hard for me to believe. I wonder, is Luke lying to us here? I'm just going to let you think about it a second. He says, all the believers. Now, is that the truth or is that a lie? Do you all have to think about it? Come on. That's not a lie. It's in the word of God. So if he said all the believers, that's 100% of the believers. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Listen, can I just tell you something real quick? Fellowship is spiritual. There are some folks that they can't understand how just getting together and hanging out with other believers, bring some non-believers, bring whoever, and, you know, we got to break out a Bible study. We got we to gotta break something spiritual out. Well, you are doing something spiritual, Getting together is spiritual. That's called koinonia. That, that Greek word right there is, is the word that says, hey, we've assembled ourselves for the purpose of honoring God by honoring one another. And we're not going to have a Bible study. I'm not advocating that you don't ever have Bible studies. It's okay for you to get together over some chicken and potato salad, maybe some barbecue ribs and some banana pudding, And we're just going to hang out on Friday night, all right? And there's fellowship. There is value in that. What are we doing? We are growing closer together. We're getting to know one another. There's value in that alone. I don't know about you, but I have felt before like, dude, we should be doing something. I need to bring a nugget. I felt that myself. I need to bring a nugget. You got these people together, you know. You got to, you know. No, just be. 
with other people. And they get together and all of the believers got together for the, uh, the, the fellowship. All right, sorry, forgot where I was reading. Got together for fellowship and the apostles' teaching and to sharing in meals. Where you share a meal at? At the table. So we're sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I can't wait till we get to the message in this series where we, at the table, is where we have signs and wonders when we all get in communion uh, together. And it says that they sold, uh, they all met together in one place, verse 44, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Look, this is important. They worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's a spirit of hospitality. People that it's like, you know, not like, oh God, these people have to come over or whatever. No, it's like, oh dude, Betty and, you know, they're coming over tonight for whatever, whatever. You know, it's, 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 it's happy it's joyful <laughs> y'all don't look yeah. joyful you don't look like you want like uh, <laughs> I don't want to pass arrive <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength that's what we used to sing in kids church because that's scriptural the joy of the Lord is my strength when I reach out to people in love like man people want Love, they want fellowship, they want joy. You, you understand? They'll be talking no church problems. There are times when my wife and I are communing together that it's just the two of us. We're like hanging out, maybe eating something. And I'm not throwing my wife under the bus too much, even though she made us wear matching outfits today. Um, you know, I didn't know how she was completely dressed until she came to church. And I'm like, what? Like we... But there will be times where she will want to talk about things and I will say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about the church calendar. I don't want to talk about Sister Maybell and, you know, uh, what, whatever's going on here. I love those people, but I do not want to talk about that right now. Right now, you and I are eating at our table. Where we're just fellowshipping. That stuff can wait until later. And many times people don't know how to categorize. They don't, they, they don't know how to compartmentalize. And it's like, look, at this, we're not talking about that. Like when you come in here on a Sunday morning, do not be coming to me about three minutes before church time. And you've got a, a big old kettle of you know, chaos that you need to discuss with me. Don't bring that to me. There's a time, and it is not now. Are you following me? It's like we, we are coming together with God's people. We are about to enter into the... Now, if it's an emergency, totally different. But some people don't know how to compartmentalize. They don't know how to ca categorize things like, hey, this can wait until later. Right now, we're just communing. And so it says that they came to the homes, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying. Say it with me. Enjoying 
Like they were enjoying one another. Y'all know you got some folks that you can't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus, I'm trying to love them, but I can't enjoy them. I know I love them, Jesus, but can you put them on the other side of heaven about a million miles away from my little shack where I'm going to be living, my mansion, you know? All right, but they enjoyed their meals together, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship. Like, each day the Lord added to their fellowship. That's the purpose of this. Each day the Lord added to their membership. Listen, I'm being sarcastic. Each day the Lord... Added to their membership role. Each day the Lord filled more seats in the sanctuary where we don't have to look out at empty seats. No, he added to their fellowship. He added to their family. He added to their culture. People who came in and it's like, wow, my heart, you know, it bears witness with your heart for the kingdom. And now we're on mission together. We understand that when pastor or any of our leaders speak about something, it's like, I'm not trying to still determine if I'm going to get on board with that. Why? Because you are part of the fellowship. And this is what we do. We come together to live out the mandate of this local fellowship. Are you following me? Come on, man, I'm preaching better than y'all are praising. But I'm just telling you, I hope y'all are, are, are with me in this. All right? And so each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And that's the key for people to come to salvation. I want to share with you, um, Melissa, would you mind coming and playing for me? I want to share with you six ways to create a culture of invitation as I close out right here. Six ways to create a culture of invitation, all right? Number one is to build before you bring. Invest before you invite. See, we've been doing this wrong. And what I mean when I say that, build relationships with people before you bring them to church. Because some of y'all brought some folks to church that wasn't prepared and we ain't even a break down, knock down, drag out, Holy Ghost, you know, cuckoo crazy for, you know, charisma puffs. <laughs> like I grew up in. I'm like, man, my family dragged me up in that church. And I'm like, y'all didn't brought me up in here with some crazy folks. Nobody built a relationship with me. And they brought me into a place where I wasn't prepared. Now, here's the beautiful thing. The relationship had been built with my parents. So my parents had a totally different experience than I did when I was 15. They were in their, I guess at that time, in their uh, mid to late 50s, maybe later. Yeah, 60s, I, I would guess. And so they already had been building a relationship with the pastor and he had already been inviting them and they'd been turning them down. And one day, lo and behold, they said yes. And they didn't tell me that. I found out that we getting going to the Jesus house. They, they, they gave me less than 24 hours notice. And I had no church background at all. And when they dragged me up in there, I'm like, this is crazy. Y'all know the story, man. It's time to go. Everybody stands up. I ain't ever seen an altar call in my life. Everybody stands up. I'm like, let's get out of this cuckoo crazy place. And we left, and me and my sister, we went down the aisle. And my parents, as they stood up, they went the other way. And they go down, and they give their lives to the Lord that day. 
They give their lives to the Lord. And from that day until this, I've never missed a church service just because I didn't want to come. From that day to this, because I wasn't in love with Jesus right away. But I'm telling you what, when I fell in love with Jesus, then I didn't have to get drugged to church. I was trying to drag other people to church. But don't, don't bring people before you build relationship with them. See, they need to know. They need to know a little bit about the house that you're inviting them. Like, give them a heads up. Like, people need to know what kind of preacher I am. People need to know what happens in our service. People need to know what our music is like. Man, to you and me, we're used to this. But there are some people you will invite. Man, they were raised Presbyterian. And all they know is sit down, uh, uh, stand up, sit down, stand up. You know, speak whatever it is they're reciting uh, in, a, in a liturgy or whatever. And, and, and we're gone in 45 minutes to an hour. Like, they're not used to, like, Holy Spirit flowing. They don't probably even know what the uh, moving of God's Spirit is. Are you following me? Like, people need to understand. They need to see and hear. You build relationship, and that takes time. There are days where you're going to be in contact with people, and you got to bypass this because this person is, is, is in an emergency situation. And they need Jesus now. And it's like, man, will you come to church with me Sunday? All right, that, that's different. There are going to be times where there are emergencies. But invest in people before you invite people. Jesus went into people's homes. He spent time with them in their homes. When it says to, uh, to, uh, about um, both Matthew and Zacchaeus, they went to their homes and then they went to the temple later. In the book of Acts, it says they were doing things in the temple and they were doing things in the home. Like, when you bring people, probably the first place you bring them shouldn't be church. Have lunch with them at a bar somewhere close to where y'all work. What? Did you just say, Pastor Rife? Why? Do I say that? Because you know they like that bar. Come on! Religious folks! You know they like that bar. You know that's where they go every day after work. Start on their ground. Just go meet them there. You know why many times that we don't do things like that like Jesus did? One, that you are not as much light and salt that you thought you were. You're more afraid of them influencing you than you are of them. You're afraid that you'll get sucked in. Why? Because deep down, you know where you might not really be spiritually. But I don't serve that kind of God. See, I can go in there. Because I know greater is he that is in me than he that's up in that bar. You, you understand? Like, so go to where they are because that's what Jesus did. All right, look, I want you to understand this. Building relationships before inviting people to, to church is so important. Invite them into a relationship with you, and that's going to look different from every person. Some people may be your house folks. They come to your house. Some people, it might be you just have an outside relationship with them. You meet with them for lunch or, or uh, you know, or whatever. 
Invite them into relationship with the Lord. Invite them to church. There's all these different invitations. When I say a culture of invitation is crucial to our calling, like there's so many different invitations. Hey, man, I want you to come to church. Hey, man, I want you to come over and uh, meet some of my friends. Let's just come over and hang out. Hey, uh, will you go have a drink with me after work? Sweet tea, okay? I feel like there's still people hung up on that, and it may just be me. Maybe I'm the religious one. Hey, it's possible. The Lord's told me I'm religious more times than I care to admit. There's so many invitations. Hey, man, I'd love for you to come to my men's group. Hey, man, I'd love for you to. You need to really think about your invitation before you make the invitation. But please, for the love of God, make the invitation. Second thing is this. Be the appetizer. Be the appetizer, okay? All right, see what we do is we just want to invite people to church and you expect for that person to come in here and like Paul, you know, last week I was talking uh, about how he spoke to the Hebrews and he's like, hey, I would like to teach you on something much deeper, but I can't because y'all babies in the word, your babies in the word. So I can't do that. I got to go back to this lesson. Sometimes we want to bring people in and expect them to understand all the vernacular. We want them to come in and, and understand like the depths of prophecy and all of these things. And it's like, dude, they, they need an appetizer. You're the appetizer. What do you mean by that, Pastor Rife? The scripture says that we are the salt of the earth. People should be looking at my life and going, Lynn, there's something different about you, man. I don't know. You ain't shooting straight. with You know how people do out in the world. They're like, something's different about you. Something's different about you. Like, what they're doing is they're sensing. Like, wow, you don't, you don't talk like the other men where we work. And you don't berate your wife like the other men do at work. I ain't ever heard you cuss. I ain't ever heard you do, you know, whatever. Man, that's salt. They're savoring. They're tasting. You're the appetizer. Listen, there are, 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 are things, and i got to figure out if this is somewhere down later. This is what I'll just say. In this part about being the appetizer, people need to see God operating in you before they see God operating in the church. You understand that there are times where we don't follow that path. I just said to you, there are times, it's, you got to get them straight here. But there are times where it's like, they're talking to you, they're sharing stuff with you, and you're like, I'm fixing to prophesy over this person. This is some of the stuff I'll teach you if you'll let me. It'll have to be at another place in time. But you don't announce to the person you're fixing to prophesy to them. Because you're the appetizer. What you're doing, you're getting them ready for the full course meal. And so they're telling you something about their life or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're fixing to call them Zacchaeus. Mm. I'm waiting for you to catch it. Because they've been told they're low down. They've been told that they are no good. 
They've been told they'll never amount to anything. They've experienced trauma that they should be in a loony bin. Are you following me? But that's what the world has told them. But you're fixing to call them by name. You're fixing to call them Zacchaeus. You're fixing to say, listen, I know this is prophecy. Listen, I know that that's a lie you've bought into. That you think you're that. That you're ashamed. You live this life of shame. But you're a beautiful person. And then you just begin to let God prophesy out of you to that person. And you're now calling them by their real name. This is good. Are you with me? You're the appetizer. So what have they experienced? You, you, don't, you don't finish up that conversation and you go, So what I've just done here, I've prophesied to you. If you'll go look in the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, blah, blah, blah. You you don't do any of that. You've just let them taste to see that the Lord is good. You just do it and you move on. And now they are tasting. They are communing. They are seeing. They're at the table with you. You're the appetizer. They're seeing. They're hearing your story, which I'll I'll get to right here in just a second. Let me move on. Get used to being around unsaved people. Now listen, unsaved people probably don't like being called unsaved. They, they, They like being called sinners probably a whole lot less. Just refer to them as people. They're just people. And they just may not have met Jesus at the depth that you know him. And our goal, the call, is to help those people. We're just calling them unsaved in-house. Because I'm telling you, you don't want to offend people when you go out. And I ain't trying to be all woke. There are times where you will look at people and you go, the reason that you're having this is because you're living in sin. There's times to be direct. There are times to be the prophet. There are times for all of that. But when you go out and you're ministering to people, get used to being around unsaved people. I'm not always comfortable around unsaved people. I'm not always used to that. As a matter of fact, one day when I was working in a secular job, when we started the church, I I had just been around this culture so much, I went into the teacher's uh, bathroom and I splashed cold water on my face. You've heard me tell this story before. And I'm like, God, this is a little too much for me. I'm not used to being around uh, uh, everyday Oh, reprobate folks. I'm, I'm used to being around religious reprobate folks. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're, they're here. They're here. But, but, but at least we pretend. At least we put on a fake face. And out there, they don't. And it's like, oh, my. Ooh. I'm like, I got. And, man, I go in there and I spread water on my face. And I'm like, God, you got to help me. And the Lord says, you ain't. I mean, it's. These conversations with God, this is how mine go. He's like, yeah, you ain't used to this, are you? Uh-uh, I ain't used to this. I'm used to being in the church world 24-7. And he's like, well, welcome to my world. These are my people. I love these people. These people that you, Rife, want to get away from, that you don't feel comfortable around. These are my people, Rife. He's like, see... I wasn't there where I am now. Because if I had, 
the revelation that I'm trying to give you right now, every contact is an opportunity for a positive impact. Get back out there, boy, and go make a positive impact. Do you know that people to this day, I don't know where they are spiritually, fully. Do you know whether they are fully on living for Jesus? Do you know that they still consider me a man of God in their life? Do you know that they still consider me a pastor to them in some way? Maybe not like you consider me, but they do. And I still have influence in their life. And I'll have people that will call me because they don't have anybody else to call. Because their family member died. Every contact has the potential for positive impact. Let me run through these others. Number four, look for conversation cues. I can't just list a bunch of them because they're so varied. Man, things ain't going so good between me and my kids. Conversation cue. Anybody says that around me? I've been there. I've been there. That's a conversation cue. I can go there because I've been there. So what do I do? You'll, you'll, you'll see just a, a little bit later that you'll, you'll, let me just go ahead and put it on the screen. You'll get used to using your story to bridge to Jesus' story. Man, things ain't going good with my finances now. I mean, I'm scared, man. I'm scared I'm going to lose my house. Oh, I've been there, my friend. Let me tell you my story to bridge you to Jesus' story. Are you following me? I remember there was a time when Shay and I, we thought we were going to lose our home to foreclosure, blah, blah, blah. I'm speeding it up. Let me tell you what God did for us, and God will do the same thing for you. God, this is how much God loves you. You see what I'm doing there? I'm picking up on the clues, and the clues are all over the place. Man, things ain't going good in my marriage. Things ain't going good in my finances. Man, I've been really afraid of. Man, I've been having this health issue. There are so many clues that can open doors for you to begin to use your story to bridge to Jesus' story. And the last one is this. Get used to people saying no. Hey, man, would you like to come to my men's group? Uh Uh-uh. Hey, man, would you like to come to whatever? Uh-uh. No, man, I'm busy. Hey, man, we got this special person coming to our church. We'd love to have you. Would you come to? Nope. Listen, I don't know how accurate this is, but I once read a statistic that said a person will, will turn you down seven times before they'll say yes. I can't tell you how many times my parents turned down the pastor that invited them to church. They hated to see him coming. I mean, they had tried to do everything they could to avoid him. But one day, they said yes. All it takes is one time, guys. I wonder, he's dead now. I can't talk to Pastor Jolly. But I wish one day in heaven, I'm going to be like, what were you feeling? Like, how many times did you actually? I'm telling you, my good old uh, fashion, hard neck, red neck family I'm telling you it's more than seven how how did you feel you're going to feel awkward you're going to feel at times like you don't want to do it you're going to have well you've already invited them so many times always leave an opening like hey would you like to come to church with me this week Miss Jackie or hey uh, if I was a female I would be saying hey we've got a women's group at the church We're, we're meeting this Wednesday night would you come with me and if she says no Well, maybe another time. I don't beat her up. Maybe another time. That lets her know I'm going to ask you again. So she knows I ain't going to let it go. 
because I love you. Because I care about your soul. I care about where she's going to spend an eternity more than I do my fear of asking her. More than the awkwardness that's there. Because I only have a limited amount of time that I can influence her. All right? And so these are six ways that we can create a culture of invitation. Say this with me. Ready? A culture of invitation is crucial to living out our calling. Last line. Every salvation begins with an invitation. If there's no invitation, guys, the reality is salvation will never take place. I want uh, to show you this one little clip of what could possibly happen. All right, this is going to be a video clip. It's very quick. This is what could possibly happen. And you understand, I'm, this is going to be a clip about inviting somebody to church. I'm not, I'm, that, that's secondary to inviting people into community, right? All right, so, so you don't have to bring lights down. Just check this out. Just ask him. What's the worst that could happen? Hey, Jeff. I was wondering if you'd like to go to church with us sometime. I just thought. I just thought. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, Jeff. Hey, man, what's going on? Hey, uh, I was wondering if you'd like to join us for church on Sunday. Hmm. So yeah, let's see why not. Cool, man. Here it is. You understand, by the time he had gotten there, he had already had multiple encounters with Jeff. He had already been the appetizer to Jeff. Are you following me? It's not some cold call. Relationship had been built he had invested before that invitation happened. He had built relationship before he's reaching out to bring him. And if he had said no, then ask another time. I want you to, Jeff, all right, think now. Jeff is going to go to that church. Jeff has already been fed the appetizer from his buddy across the street. There's already relationship there. He already knows a little bit about where he's going and what's going to happen there. He pretty much already knows, like, well, why am I going there? Well, it's because you need Jesus, because you've shared with me your life story, and things aren't so great. His lawn looks perfect. Listen, I can tell you, Shay and I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and we lived in places where people had uh, homes back in the 90s, and their homes were $800,000, $900,000, and then others that were in multi-million dollar homes, and they are as lonely, psychotic, suicidal, broken homes. It doesn't matter. You wouldn't know that by looking at their house. So Jeff is going to go to church because he's already built this relationship. And Jeff's life has the potential to be changed forever. Jeff, you know what could happen? We didn't see him, but inside... Jeff has two little children. Their names are George Ann, and their son's name is Rife. They don't want to go to church. But Jeff's going to drag them there. And then, as they go to church, Jeff's dragging uh, uh, Rife and, and George Ann 
you know, kicking and screaming. And as they come into the church and, you know, it's a crazy church. It's Pentecostal church. And it's just like, man, it's Holy Ghost fires coming down in that place. Little Rife is not going to feel it. But in about six months, Jeff's son, Little Rife, is going to have a Holy Ghost experience where he's saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. A few, uh, maybe just a year and a half, two years down the road, God is going to call Jeff's son, Rife, into the ministry. Years down the line, Jeff's going to die. His son, Rife, is going to grow up. And he's going to plant a church called Destiny Church. He's going to go to other continents and preach. And it's all because the guy pushed the trash can out and walked across the street and invited Jeff. Think about the potential that resides in you to unleash the kingdom in somebody. All right? Let me share these, and I promise you we're fixing to go. So how do I make this work in my life every day, Pastor Rife? Because if you don't do something with this, I've just been up here just blowing hot air for about 45 minutes to an hour. Invite someone to lunch this week and just see where it goes. All right? Just invite somebody to lunch. Don't, I mean, you can start with church people, but they don't even have to be people who aren't saved. But just somebody that's kind of out of your comfort zone. Invite somebody to lunch. See where it goes. Don't try to make anything happen. Just invite them to lunch and just see where it goes. Listen for those conversation cues to see if God wants your story to bridge to his story. Okay? Be the appetizer for that person. And listen, that person is not your project. You're not there. I got to get them saved today. I'm on step one of, you know, 18. No, you're just starting a relationship. You're just being love. That's all you're doing. You're just being love. And you're part of that. You may never lead them into a relationship with God, like praying a prayer to receive Christ. Somebody else might do that. You just do your part and be cool with that. Second thing is this. Consider using your home for a community meal. I'm going to talk about this at a later time. But I really want you to consider my house inviting people over for a community meal and what let us show you what that looks like with the intention of just loving people just loving people i promise you you don't have to make ministry happen when you get together like that ministry is going to happen if you know how to look for the clues and if you are willing to be the appetizer you i promise you it's going to work the third thing is this, uh, stop on the way out. I dropped mine on the floor right here. Stop on the way out today and get some of these invitation cards that you'll have them ready for you. Listen, I am not asking you. A lot of churches will say, you know, take these and, and you know, leave them on the toilet. Don't. You're wasting that. Don't do that unless Holy Spirit asks you to do that. Don't, don't slide it in with your tip for the person. Like, is that a bad thing? Not necessarily, but that's not intentional invitation. That's passive invitation. Build relationships. Have these on hand when they come in handy so that at any moment you can go, hey, man, 
uh, would you come to church with me? Because, I mean, we're blah, blah, blah. Here's a card. So that's a, that's a tool for you. And then this is the last thing. I've already led a group on this. Hopefully we'll be leading another one soon. And then going even deeper into how to do ministry for you to be the appetizer to people outside the walls of this church. But this book uh, is called I Want to Bear Fruit. I know the writer of it personally. It's, this book changed my life. It is not highly theo- uh, theological. It's super practical. It changed my life on how I saw people. It changed my life on how I minister to people. And I'm asking you if you'll purchase this book and you'll read it. Pastor Rife, why, why do you want me to do that? Because I would like for you to know how I think. Because I think like this. You've heard me preach from this book more times. I've given you more illustrations. When you read it, you'll go, oh, I remember when Pastor Rife said that. Because this changed my life on how I looked at evangelism. Building relationships with people. Today when you leave or today when you came in, you should have gotten a little uh, card that shared uh, the Amazon code. You can go online and look at it. It's got a picture of the book and its name there. And then there's a few other information things. But I'm telling you, if you go look at that, and if we start living this out in our church, we will see the Lord add to our fellowship. Hear me. I said this to somebody. Well, I said it to Larry recently. And I said, you know, the thing is, we do not just need people here. We don't need people here. What we need is we need people who are truly part of the fellowship. Like they are bought in, man, to what God is speaking to us for this house, this region. That's what we need. And I promise you, if we start living this out, we're going to see people added to our fellowship, not our Sunday morning service. Ain't interested in the Sunday morning service. I ain't even interested in doing life outside of this if it ain't authentic. Let's do this and watch God expand our influence in this region.